Welcome to The Draft Board, where hosts David Song and Tyson Workington tackle the topics that you want to hear. From the rink, to the turf, to the court, anything and everything, this is The Draft Board. All right, welcome back to The Draft Board, ladies and gentlemen. I'm David Song. He's Tyson Workington. We are no longer in the same room. We're on Zoom because mm-hmm. I'm not in Indianapolis and Tyson is in Calgary. But hey, none of us are in Cleveland, so that counts for something. <laughs> yeah, we're not in Cleveland. If you guys have found this episode on Spotify or iTunes, obviously, you'll notice that it is called Man Tiger. And that title makes absolutely no sense. No, it is not a Tiger King reference. <laughs> By the way, I have not even seen Tiger King. A lot of you out there might say I'm missing out. It's um, really interesting. We'll see. We'll see. But so th- there's two reasons why, why we're calling this episode Man Tiger. The, the first reason uh, is that how about then Cincinnati Bengals? Who would have thought, like Tyson, if anybody had told you even midway through the season that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to make it farther than the San Francisco 49ers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers and that they would end up in the Super Bowl, what would you have thought? Well, uh, first off, I would have thought that they were a little bit crazy. Um, Halfway through the year, we kind of like saw the Cincinnati explosion with uh, Jamar Chase so and Joe Burrow and that connection so like they were doing their thing so like I could like maybe kind of think uh maybe this person is like totally off their rocker but um you know especially at the beginning of the year I would have totally thought that you were crazy in saying that the Bengals are going to make it further than Tom Brady in the Bucks. I, I would not have believed that at all would have thought that you were on crazy pills so definitely an underdog story and it's very surprising for me and most fans Absolutely. And I think even for, for the Cincinnati Bengals fan base, this has to be something that they're obviously over the moon and they deserve that. But I'm not sure anyone but the most, the most diehard fan that is willing to play fast and loose with established reality would have actually picked the Bengals to make a ton of noise in, in the playoffs. I can see, okay, wild card spot maybe, but to make it further than all those teams and actually get to the Super Bowl is something that, well, well, let's be real. Random Dallas Cowboys fans rant about that on social media every year. And it hasn't happened for them yet. It literally happened for the Bengals before it happened for the Cowboys. And I think that's funny. I, I think it's very hilarious too. And, you know, I think that nobody expected this out of the Bengals. Um, there's a guy, his name is Flemlo Raps. He's got a YouTube channel. He's pretty popular on, on YouTube. He's got uh, about 800k subscribers now and you know he's a Bengals fan and he like laid out like his prediction and his expectation for the Bengals this year and he was like I I kind of expect them to be at around eight and eight and maybe make the playoffs and like that I guess is reasonable but um nobody expected like this miraculous run to the Super Bowl so absolutely Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to Two of my friends from church here in Indianapolis, uh, Josh and Bree, they're a married couple. Josh is a gentleman from Cincinnati. He is one of the most diehard Bengals fans you'll ever meet. Uh, and I was texting uh, with his wife, Bree, uh, briefly after the playoff game in which the Bengals upset, shockingly, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They're like 27 to 24 
on their second walk-off field goal in a row in the playoffs. And uh, Bree tells me that her husband has uh, spontaneously purchased tickets to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. And no way. She, yes. And uh, she tells me that he has had money saved up for that trip for at least 10 years and pretty much was ready to pull the trigger uh, should the near impossible happen. And uh, she assures me that he was pretty much like vibrating with pure excitement uh, watching the course of that game. No way. That's crazy. I was looking it up online and like some of the tickets to the Super Bowl are crazy expensive. So, but um, yeah, though, that's so cool that he was just like so excited, so ready. So like he had saved up, we're pulling the trigger. We're going to see the Super Bowl. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. And I, I personally would love to watch the Bengals set the football world on fire and, and, and win it all. I think that is one of the most interesting outcomes that could have possibly happened. But of course, there's still one more game to play. And we'll talk about that a little more later. But for now, let us just proceed into our sort of our, our usual format, Tyson. And I'll start with, uh, with, I'll start with a quick update on another team that's uh, close to my heart which is the IUPUI Lady Jags women's basketball team. Now, last uh, last time we talked about them on the podcast, they had just pulled off a stunning comeback one-point win over the nationally ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm, the update that I'm going to provide, uh, the, the fans are, are like 10 fans, <laughs> double digits at least, but, but <laughs> our, fans, our fans out there is that after that game, they did lose their next one to a conference opponent, Northern Kentucky, I believe 54-53. Mm. Uh, however, in the month of January, the IUPUI Jaguars have gone 9-0. and And their most recent victory was an 82-64 defeat of the Cleveland State Vikings, which you're wondering, okay, uh, so who are the Cleveland State Vikings? So going into that game uh, last Saturday, uh, I believe this was January 29th, uh, Cleveland State was a third-ranked team in the Horizon League. Jaguars were the fourth-ranked team. Cleveland State had the conference's top-ranked offense at about 72.2 points per game. And so for us to come in and beat them 82-64, we held them under nice. their scoring averages, and it was our offense that looked like the top offense in the conference, knocking down 13 of, th- of 23 beyond the arc. Nice. That's so good, especially when you can hit from range and get the three ball going that you know you're in for a good night whenever you can get the three ball rolling. So it's great to see the Lady Jags being able to – they went on the road there? Oh, that this was at home. Oh, this was at home. Great for them to be able to defend home court against a, a real good team um, and be able to, yeah, rise up the standings. 9-0 and in January. Hey, what a great month. Let's keep it rolling into February and see where it goes. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of quick hitters uh, statistically from this game, which of course are still fresh in my head because I was on location covering it, which was a very enjoyable experience and of course, valuable practice for, for myself. But so our starting center, Macy Williams, an Indiana native is a three-time conference player of the year. She had 21 points and 16 rebounds in that game, which by the way, was excellent stat line for any starting center in the NBA against Ooh. It, it, uh, and it's her seventh double-double of the season. So she had a great game. She was 9 of 11 from the floor also. 
Nice. These are video game numbers, essentially. Uh, and also uh, my friend Rachel Kent, um, who is our starting shooting guard, went six of nine from beyond the arc. Uh, she had an insane, uh, she had an insane shooting performance. And my other friend, Rachel McLemore, who last time I talked about her, she shut down Caitlin Clark in the second half against Iowa. This time she scored 12 of her 17 points in the fourth quarter just to make sure Cleveland State didn't try to get uppity. Nice. That's so good. Great to hear the Lady Jags being able to stifle the uh, powerhouse offense at home. And yeah, and, and the cool thing is we're no longer fourth because we beat the number three team. We're actually second in the standings because we hopped past Cleveland State as well as Northern Kentucky. So that's nice. definitely uh, some much some much appreciated breathing room. And the final storyline that I want to share from that is just the fact that somewhat controversially in mid-November, uh, IUPUI was not able to play Cleveland State on the road because of COVID. And per league rules, Cleveland State voted to win by forfeit rather than try to reschedule the game. And I know for a fact this did not sit well with a lot of Jaguar fans and the Jaguar fans, you know, families of some of the players sitting behind me that particular game, who I had the privilege and the pleasure of getting to know, they were not happy about that. And so they were all very fired up for the win. Oh, that's great to hear. It's great to see like a little bit of karma come back to bite them. And oh, like they wouldn't reschedule. They just like forfeited the game because of a vote. That seems, it seems weird that, that it would be the opposing team's choice to either have the win or to it seems like that would be weird uh, yeah i will say that uh, i will asterisk that that uh, i'm not an expert on horizon league rules this year but it that what i heard was sort of an oversimplification maybe a little bit biased but what i will say is that it is a very it's kind of an unusual situation because right. many other covid affected games were rescheduled or simply canceled in a way that did not show up on the win loss record uh, of the offending team. So I don't really know for sure what was going on, but I do know that it ruffled feathers uh, in the IUPUI program. And well, what happened next happened next. <laughs> That's great. All right, so they're second. Who's first now in the Horizon League? The you know? 12, in, uh, sorry, the, I think they're the 18 and two Youngstown State Penguins who mm -hmm. have been the class of the field this year. One of those two losses, we did take one off them in overtime nice. a, few, a few weeks ago. But no, Youngstown State is a is an elite team this year, and uh, I'm expecting them. I haven't had the chance to watch them yet, but based on how much they've been winning, I'm expecting them to make a lot of noise, and it would definitely be an upset if they were not to make the Horizon League tournament final. Uh, but moving on from that... We also, of course, have to, you know, at least mention in passing the fact that some scrub named Tom Brady decided to stop throwing an oval around for fun. Nah, you, some, you guys, nah, nah, nah. You guys know who Tom <laughs> Brady is. And obviously, kind of like I alluded to on past episodes, since we're not a sports news podcast, we'll leave it to the professionals to talk about Brady's legacy and give you his his numbers his his career achievements I mean I'll say one career achievement seven Super Bowl rings in 22 seasons is an insane ratio obviously and obviously a lot of those rings came at the expense of some really good teams and 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 less fortunate franchises than 
the New England Patriots were. But kind of like we said on an earlier episode this season, I've come to a place personally where, like, I well, let me put it this way. The 28-3 Super Bowl against the Falcons in 2016 was traumatizing for me because I did truly want the Falcons to win. And watching Brady just kind of win over and over and over again got old. But you have to, you know, you have to be impressed, whether you like him or don't, by his success, as well as the fact that, like, the one thing I respect about him is he's never demanded a top contract for for being a top quarterback because he wants to win and he doesn't need to be the richest player in the league. And that's really allowed the Buccaneers and the Patriots to build great teams around him, which is a reason why he's been so successful. No, he's been one of the best. He's the best ever to do it, in my opinion. Like, he's just won so much. He's had so many great fourth-quarter comebacks, great moments. Really, he's had an absolutely outstanding career and the likelihood of us being able to see a player of his caliber again is next to none. There's probably no chance that we'll ever see someone replicate the level of greatness that Tom Brady did in our lifetime. It it just doesn't happen. You know, he's so good and so special and he was so committed to playing long into, into his career, into his 40s and have just incredible longevity with multiple Super Bowls and just an absolutely fantastic and great career. Um, Yeah. There's nothing really that we can say to really say sum it all up, but he is the greatest quarterback to ever put on a pair of cleats in my opinion. So good for Tom for being able to walk away with his health and to not have to be limped off the field or carted off the field with any some form of, of serious injury. He's leaving with his, you know, health intact, and he's just ready to move on to the next phase of his life. And I understand that for all athletes, that can be really, really hard to go through that process of going, okay, I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to have the next phase of life come. Because especially for Tom, like he lived and breathed football for 40 years of his life and he's done now and it's time to move on. And that competitiveness just doesn't go away overnight. So um, Tom, he's mentioned like he'll probably have to do some form of therapy counseling just to help him progress and get into the next phase of his life smoothly. And uh, I wish him all the best in that. I hope the transition goes smoothly for whatever comes next in his life. Um, But congratulations, Tom, on a fantastic and absolutely brilliant career. And uh, yeah, enjoy your retirement as much as you possibly can. And I mean, I'm sure that he'll still let out that comparative spirit to savagely crush his kids in family monopoly games and and things like that. But, you know, you you never know. And and the last thing I want to say about Tom is that we talk about him being the, the greatest quarterback, and, and I certainly think it's hard to, to argue otherwise, uh, unless, of course, we find out that he's been like in cahoots with North Korea this entire time. But uh, <laughs> when you look at it, though, Tom Brady is definitely far from the greatest athlete that you've seen in, in any sport. And that's what made him special because he wasn't fast. He had a very good arm, but it wasn't a cannon like Brett Favre or Matthew Stafford. He couldn't make the kinds of circus throws from 
odd angles like Aaron Rodgers or, or Patrick Mahomes, but what Tom Brady was good at, other than his incredible self-discipline and football IQ, was the ability to execute a game plan uh, f- almost flawlessly and to put the ball in the hands of his playmakers, as much of a cliche as that is. And so, you know, I, I do find that interesting how in even such a physical sport like football, skills matter, uh, IQ matters, and, you know, nobody knows or cares who Vernon Golston is, despite the fact that he destroyed the NFL scouting combine and we've seen so many six foot six strong arm quarterbacks flame out of the league but with a guy like Tom Brady sure he was overlooked for what may have been at the time understandable reasons but what I find fascinating is just that what made him great wasn't really athleticism it was it was his mind and it was his self-control and it was and well it was also his arm, but not nearly as much as the other two. So uh, a, a very, I think it was a, a unique, right, a unique success story. And, and we mm-hmm. definitely, I'm sure lots of people will be looking forward to see what Tom Brady does next, because no matter what, he won't be uh, breaking the hearts of their favorite teams. <laughs> and, very true. And, uh, and that will be, uh, of course, of solace to, to many football fans. Before we move on with this episode, though, uh, I do want to go back to something else we've done in, in, in many episodes, which is to uh, honor somebody who has passed on. And normally we do this in the sports world. We've mentioned people like Chris Schultz, the former TSN anchor and CFL lineman, Demarius Thomas, the former Broncos uh, wide receiver who, who tragically passed away at, at far too young an age uh, and a host of others. But unfortunately, Today's is a bit more personal for me. It was a girl named Chelsea Finnegan, whom I went to high school with. Now, I did not know her well, and I hadn't talked to her since high school graduation, which for me was in 2013. I'm 26 years old now. Please pray for me. But that aside, um, I I saw a social media post uh, by my drama teacher, uh, Mr. Sword. It's a great name for a drama teacher, but... Uh, Mr. Sword uh, was paying respects to uh, Chelsea and, and that, of course, drew my attention and I was able to piece together on, on social media that Chelsea had been diagnosed with an inoperable tumor on her brainstem of all places uh, earlier last year, which, as you can imagine, severely rotted away her quality of life and it got to the point where she decided to essentially get euthanized and uh, and to receive medical medical assistance in dying. Now, that's obviously a very controversial subject, but I would ask uh, all of the listeners out there to put their views on that aside for the time being, because uh, this is just, you know, it, it's, it's a tragedy, obviously. And uh, and Chelsea had made a, a few blog posts public uh, so that people like myself uh, could read them. Uh, and from that, I was able to glean that she chose to go out this way and that she had a lot of happiness with her boyfriend and her friends and her family in her final year of life. And she asked, uh, apparently, she also asked her boyfriend to post a, a brief goodbye note on her personal blog uh, after she passed, which was apparently in the last few days. So 
yeah, I just want to take a moment to say that. Well, actually, I want to take a moment to say this, that um, I I unfriended Chelsea a, a few months ago because we hadn't talked in so many years and she wasn't someone that I thought was going to cross into my life again. And she wasn't someone that I thought I was going to talk to again. So I, you know, unfriended her as, you know, as you sometimes do just say, Hey, I used to know this person, but I didn't anymore. So let's move on. And I'm not putting this on myself because I didn't know, but I, I can't help but thinking a little bit that had I stayed friends with her for a few more months, I probably would have seen these posts on her social media feed one of the things she asked for was that uh, she, she explained to people that, hey, I don't have a ton of time left, but if you would like to say goodbye, vi- pardon me, Tyson, via text or email, that she would welcome that. And had I seen that in time, I definitely would have messaged her on Facebook to say, hey, we were not close friends and we haven't talked in almost 10 years, but I still remember hanging out with you a little bit in high school drama class at Queen Elizabeth High. And I still remember that all of our interactions were positive. And uh, from what I did know her, that she was a friendly girl. Uh, she was always pretty pleasant to, to hang out with and to, to be in class with. And we definitely had some fun in, in drama class, which, you know, my four years of high school drama class were definitely one of the highlights of my high school experience. And so, you know, in hindsight, I definitely would have wanted to, to message her that and, and, and at least say that. Uh, but, you know, we just, we, we, hmm. I don't even want to say we send our prayers, but really, because it sounds so cliche, but really what else can you do in a situation mm-hmm. like this? And yeah, that is why on, on short notice, I decided to uh, pay tribute a little bit in some modest way to, to Chelsea, my former classmate. And uh, we know that she's missed and we know that there are lots of people that uh, are heartbroken that she's no longer with us. So yeah, very, very tragic circumstance. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, I, I just want to, as much as I can, expre- express my condolences to you, David, and losing a friend and to the family and, and to other friends of Chelsea's. And yeah, it's it's sad that, you know, life is oftentimes way too short because of tragic events and sad things that happen in life. And I, I know that it's it's hard to go through something as serious as a brain tumor and and having to go through that every day, it's, it's a lot. And I, I empathize significantly because of that. And um, yeah, I just want to say that, you know, uh, my condolences, obviously, to the family, but also, you know, um, I'm here for you, David, as much as I possibly can be and trying to help you and support you in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, my man. You know, like I said, um, Fortunately, not really the right word. I'm just saying, Leo, like I said before, I didn't end up being close for her. So I have to admit it's not it's not a great personal loss for me. And I like I'm doing well, but uh, but still, I appreciate your support. And I, I think when things like this happen, it's I, I just tend to reflect a little bit on, you know, like, wow, this person just isn't around anymore. And that that's a that's a spooky thought. Right. And that's a sad thought. And, uh, you know, I have there have been other people whom I've come into contact with who have passed on early. Uh, thank God nobody I'm close with just yet. Although you really do never know, but yeah, th- this has happened to me before. And I just, it just makes me think obviously life is uh, not forever, at least not on this planet. And, uh, and so, 
you know, just to think, just to imagine the fact that a, a, a person that you once met and interacted with multiple times, uh, that you won't get to do that again, uh, mm -hmm. is sobering. And, and so, yeah, uh, obviously, um, you know, if, if by any chance, any friends or families of Chelsea's stumbles upon our podcast, uh, specifically this episode, um, you know, know that, you know, I'm just another one of her former classmates that wishes she was still around. Uh, and one of her, or her former classmates that has distant, but nonetheless positive memories uh, of her back in the, uh, back, back in the early 2010s in high school. So yeah, uh, not really a great way to transition back into sports from here, but so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move us on. Uh, I'm not gonna try too hard to make any sort of smooth segue. Uh, let's just, you know, sure. let's just try to try to do something that that we love to do, uh, which is talk about sports. And uh, <laughs> perhaps we can go back to something a little more light, which is the second reason why this episode is fairly bizarrely titled Man Tiger. <laughs> and uh, um, so there's this video game, Tyson, <laughs> that you that you are familiar with. It's called Blitz the League uh, as specifically its sequel Blitz the League. Two that was made by a developer called Midway Games in the mm -hmm. the mid late two thousands. I don't believe this developer exists anymore. But basically, for for those who don't know, Blitz the League was this M rated, gratuitously over the top football arcade video game <laughs> that caricatured the sort of the violent, the seedy, the grimy aspects of professional football, both real and perceived in ridiculous, ridiculous ways. And uh, needless to say, the NFL uh, decided to stop lending out its license to Midway Games for this series because they wanted people to feel good about supporting uh, professional football. Yes. <laughs> but, but Tyson, so again, like obviously this is a very tongue-in-cheek, over-the-top video game. But uh, what are some of the insane things that happened in this game? Yeah, well, so the first part of, of Blitz League is that um, it uses uh, the image and likeness of Lawrence Taylor, and Lawrence Taylor, his voice acting is is in the game in the campaign mode as well. So, and kind of like his character, his name is Quentin Sands, basically, but for all intents and purposes, it's essentially Lawrence Taylor. Um, so he, that's kind of part of the game. And if you know anything about Lawrence Taylor, he was super tough, super hard, super physical football player in the, in the 80s. And and this really kind of just completely lines up with like his style of play. So, uh, yeah, the, the game Blitz the League, basically, it, it's this arcadey football game where basically refs don't exist. Um, you can do anything that you really want. Uh, pass interference is not a thing. Uh, so if you feel like tackling a wide receiver out in the middle of the field because you can, uh, go ahead and do it because nobody's going to stop you. And that's arguably one of the best ways to play defense in the game, actually, <laughs> is to just tackle the receiver before he gets open. And uh, the game mechanics is basically instead of like first and 10, it's first and 30 because it gives you way harder chance to try and score. It's really fast. It's really fun. Uh, it's fast paced. And, uh, you're kind of just constantly always playing. Uh, the quarters are about two minutes, but you can adjust that in the settings if you want to. But um, basically, because it's this no rules, hyper physical style of football, 
injuries are quite common. And because yeah. it's rated M for mature, there's graphics and broken bones and all the fun things that come alongside with, you know, playing football in a hyper aggressive way. Uh, so, for example, if you remember, David, you remember the Miles Garrett, uh, Mason Rudolph scenario where Mason Rudolph got his helmet ripped off and Miles Garrett swung it at him? Yes, I do. Yeah, that was in Blitz the League before that Mason Rudolph thing happened. And of course, in Blitz the League, it's not something that gets you suspended the entire season. It's something that happens in every game. And somehow the guy you did it to is back like three plays later because they gave him the good steroids. <laughs> oh yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely steroid usage. I wouldn't recommend this for anybody under the age of 16. Um, that's no. just my opinion. Anyways, but uh, yeah, because they give you the good steroids on the sidelines and on the bench, uh, a broken rib is um, like you're out for two plays. Um, if you pop your collarbone, uh, you know, you miss 12 plays or so. Uh, you uh, separate your shoulder. Um, don't worry. You'll pop it back in and only miss one or two plays. Uh, if you break your wrist, you might be out for like a week. <laughs> so, and um, oh, yeah, by the way, you can get uh, skull fractures and uh, ruptured spleens and all kinds of lovely yet gruesome and hilarious injuries. Yeah. So, with something like this, obviously, uh, not everybody has the sense of humor uh, required to even be okay with this uh we don't bring it up to try to get into any sort of extended <laughs> bait on 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 anything it's just really wacky uh and and it and it's i think it's meant to be something that you just step away from the world for a little bit and, and uh and just and just mess around with and so the play calls obviously in this game are much simpler than in madden and there's this one defensive play called Man Tiger. And of course, when I discovered this, we both thought, huh, like that's funny. Let's just call that play every single defensive snap. And then the Cincinnati Bengals made it to the Super Bowl, led by the man, Joe Burrow. And so we decided, Man Tiger, it is. And that is why this episode is called that. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, shout out to my girlfriend, Faith, for, uh, getting me that game for Christmas a couple of years ago. It's super fun, super funny. And if uh, you want to just spam Hail Marys all game, you can score a lot of points in Blitz the League <laughs> because it gets really fun and really crazy. Yep. Now, uh, you know who didn't score a lot of points was the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Divisional round this year against the San Francisco 49ers, a game that they not only lost – but were strangled on offense to the tune of 10 total points and San Francisco won on a, on a walk-off field goal to beat us 13 to 10. And uh, obviously as Packers fans, this is, it, it is flat out unacceptable for a top five quarterback and Aaron Rodgers captaining at least a top 10, if not a top five offense to not score at least two touchdowns in a playoff game. You have to give some credit to San Francisco's defense, but at the same time, right, we're not like, we're not exactly fielding the, the New York Jets offense here. We're, we're fielding a very talented offense. And obviously some things went wrong for the Packers. Uh, AJ Dillon's injury was, was a huge loss in a, in a snowy cold game where his ability to run the football at 250 pounds of freakish strength 
uh, would have been a great asset against that 49ers defense. But you also noticed, uh, Tyson, Aaron Rodgers, as great as he is, uh, did not get the ball in the hands of where it, of the guys that it needed to go to. Yeah, so early in the game, kind of on the, I think one of the first few drives or so, like second or third drive, um, the Packers were driving down the field and Mercedes Lewis, he caught the ball, he turned up field and the ball got punched out from him by one of the 49ers. It might've been Jimmy Ward who punched it out, but uh, either way, great play by the 49ers defense, punching the ball out of Mercedes Lewis's arms. And basically uh, since that turnover from the Mercedes Lewis, Aaron Rodgers became hyper conservative in where he wanted to go with the football. So he was not pushing the ball down the field deep. He wasn't taking any unnecessary risks, any unnecessary throws. He was very much um, throw it short and make sure that it's a completed pass or throw it to Devontae Adams. So guys like Lazard or Marquez or St. Brown, uh, they didn't get or yeah, Equinemia St. Brown, he didn't, they didn't get any opportunities down the field to make plays because Aaron Rodgers just wouldn't even really give him the chance. And in, you know, the NFC champion or sorry, in the NFC playoffs divisional round and the NFC championship, you got to be able to willing to make some throws, even if the guy is maybe covered or, you know, it's a tight window throw You're Aaron Rodgers, throw the ball get the ball into the tight windows and at least give your wide receivers a chance to go out and make a play. Alan Lazard, he's a big receiver. He can high point the ball pretty well. Give him a chance, give him a jump ball opportunity. Uh, especially later on in the game, one of the 49ers corners went down with an injury and they had Josh Norman out there on corner, like guarding either Marquez or Alan Lazard one-on-one, you know, maybe sometimes some safety help, but sometimes not. And like, how do you not just go after Josh Norman and test him? He hadn't well, played I mean, very much all day or all game. So why not even give him a chance? Well, I mean, first of all, because Josh Norman is one of the premier lockdown cornerbacks <laughs> of our time. No, he's not. He's not. No. He had one like Pro Bowl worthy season and that was kind of it. Yeah, that was uh, four teams ago, bud. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know. That was pretty recent. No, it wasn't. Uh, anyways, you know, much to your point, I think Aaron Rodgers, frankly, listen, listen, folks, I'm a Packers fan, but I'm not an irrational Packers fan. And first of all, I just want to say again that this is just not okay to, to not just lose a playoff game, but to lose like this when you're playing at home, uh, when you're playing, to be sure, a worthy opponent, but one that you are capable of beating and I have noticed in other games that Aaron Rodgers tends to hold the ball for a long time because he wants the home run and he hates to throw interceptions, which is great. But sometimes, especially in the postseason, you do need to take chances. And uh, and he, for whatever reason, didn't do that. And obviously, some key injuries uh, didn't help. But I also, you know, I just want to finish off by by shouting out the Packers defense because there's been this odd narrative that Aaron Rodgers has only one Super Bowl ring because Green Bay hasn't built good enough teams around him. And while this may have been true in certain seasons, in the last two seasons, it definitely was not the case. Uh, allow me to return us to the NFC Championship game last season where Green Bay's defense picked off Tom Brady three times in the second half 
and Aaron Rodgers was not able to turn three, three turnovers into two field goals. That's just not acceptable, no matter how good the defense is that you were playing. And Tampa Bay had an amazing defense. This year, despite the fact that the score was 13-10, you look at it, the defense really only gave up six points because the other seven came from a blocked punt returned for a touchdown and of course special teams has been a large weakness for the Packers all year long and unfortunately it came to bite them but again if Aaron Rodgers and that offense had scored 14 points it still would have been enough to win the game and that is by no means a high offensive output so I don't know I think at this point like it obviously it's kind of a hollow feeling as as Packers fans to realize that our last best chance to win a Super Bowl in the foreseeable future has likely come and gone. You know, I think it's just time to call a spade a spade. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And looking forward to next year, like there's a chance that Aaron Rodgers wants to come back and play in Green Bay. Uh, it was reported that Rodgers and his exit interview with the Packers went pretty well. And the Packers are optimistically hopeful for him coming back again next year. Uh, you know, ultimately, the, the ball is really in Aaron's court on if he wants to hold out or if he wants to retire. Um, so we'll see where that goes. And Devontae Adams has made it pretty clear on social media that he is not planning on returning to the Packers without uh, Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. So that kind of leaves things a little bit up in the air in terms of the offense. I'm looking at this a little bit more practical. Uh, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round a couple of seasons ago. He's had two years on the bench. And this after this upcoming season, Aaron Rodgers – or sorry, Jordan Love is going to be up for his fifth-year option. After three years of being a first-round pick, the team has to make a decision, okay, we want to pick up your fifth-year option or not. And that fifth-year option is usually quite a heavy price tag. For Jordan Love, it would probably be at about $21, $22 million. So I don't think the Packers are going to want to make that decision uh, on him picking up his fifth-year option without seeing him play. It would seem really foolish for me that the Packers would – not see Jordan Love play all year as a starter in his third season and then choose whether or not to pick up their fifth-year option or not and and then go from there. Like, it seems weird to me that they wouldn't even look at him before making that decision, which makes me think that there's a chance that the Packers are ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers and find him a trade partner somewhere else. Maybe it's Pittsburgh. Maybe it's Denver. Um, but I, I – if I was Packers management, you have to make a decision on Jordan Love next year. So you have to see what he is, unless by practice you know he's not good, and then you're kind of stuck. But um, it, I think I think we're starting to get to that point where the Packers are – they're a few years down the road from the Jordan Love pick. They need to see what they have in him, and they need to make a decision on him. And if Aaron Rodgers is still on the team – that vision or that decision is going to be really foggy. Yeah, I think that's a sensible take. And you really can't fairly evaluate a young quarterback without giving him full reps to give him yeah. the offense over the course of several games and see what he can do for, for better or worse. And 
the good news is, is that if they do start Jordan Love, he has what appears to be a nasty, nasty defense to back him up and hopefully make things a little bit easier for him. Like, come on, you hold any NFL team, no matter how bad, to six points in a playoff game, and really it was a special team that let you down in the end. Uh, you know who I'm proud of? I'm proud of uh, the former first-round pick, Rashawn Gary, a guy that you were ready to give up on last year, and here he and here he comes with the injury to Zadarius Smith, our Pro Bowl pass rusher that forced him to miss most of the season. Rashawn Gary, I believe, had nine and a half sacks, multiple sacks and pressures in that NFC divisional round. He is looking like a former five-star prospect, former high first rounder. And of course, with his Darius Smith returning, Rasul Douglas coming out of absolutely nowhere to play like a top corner in the NFL during his time with the Packers. Uh, Eric Stokes really panning out in his rookie year so that we can finally, uh, you know, not use Kevin King for anything. <laughs> and Devondre Campbell making the Pro Bowl. Uh, yes, Devon. No, not just the Pro Bowl. I, Devondre Campbell was first team All Pro, oh, wow. I believe, uh, or or at least second team All Pro. He was an All Pro this year. And again, this is a guy that used to play in Atlanta. He he wasn't a highly touted player, and then he kind of fell into the Packers' lap and had a, a like an absolutely banana season. There are things to be optimistic about with the Packers and. If that offensive line gets healthy, there, there's a few more reasons to be optimistic about the Packers. But ultimately, we know that the quarterback is an incredibly important part of the football team. And if Jordan Love can't carry the mail, uh, it, it'll be tough uh, for the Packers to, to overcome that. If Evan Rodgers decides to go this year or even next year, I'm sure it will leave a sour taste in the mouth of many Packers fans who believe that he should have had a few more rings. He unfortunately did get the one, but he definitely had his chances to get more. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Packers don't draft uh, Kenny Pickett at quarterback in the first round this draft. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Well, you never know, but maybe. Yeah, man. All right. So now why don't we make our way to the literal main event that's about to happen in a couple of weeks. Is a Super Bowl between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. And, and I know for a fact that you didn't really want the 49ers to win, but you were cool, but, but you're excited for this matchup, as am I. And, and let's be real, uh, I don't care what any of the haters say. This is one of the most fascinating and interesting Super Bowl matchups possible. And for if you don't follow football, let me just let me just give you a rundown. And then Tyson, maybe you can talk more about the underdog Cincinnati Bengals and, and, and how they were able to overcome multiple hurdles in the playoffs. But so the Los Angeles Rams, they moved from St. Louis a, a few years ago and they, th at the beginning of this year, they signed quarterback Matthew Stafford, who traded was for. All, sorry, traded for and then signed, but yes, quarterback mm -hmm. Matthew Stafford mortgaging the rest of their first round picks uh, until 2024 yes. and, and in effect releasing Matthew Stafford from his football imprisonment in the city of Detroit. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Stafford has had, I believe only one winning season in, in, in his entire tenure. I think it was like 12 years or something like that in Detroit 
They went 11 and five in 2014 and lost the wild card round to the Dallas Cowboys. Beyond that, Stafford had to put up with new multiple fairly mediocre nine and seven seasons, as well as just really bad ones uh, like three, four, three, four and one in 2019. And he didn't play the full season five and 11. Just these numbers like that, that are just highly disappointing. And Matthew Stafford went 12 and five with LA with a good team around him. I believe he led the league with 41 touchdown passes, 17 interceptions, but 41 to 17 is a pretty good ratio. And he was a sole, you know, he, he's a guy that's really paid his dues in Detroit. I'd like to see him get a ring. The other guy I'd love to see a ring is Aaron Donald, who quite frankly doesn't need an introduction. He is the best defensive lineman of our time. He is one of the best pass rushers arguably ever, but especially from an interior defensive tackle position. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, if, you, if, if Aaron Donald goes his entire career without winning a Super Bowl, it would be a huge shame. And we would really look at him as, as a missed opportunity because he is incredibly dominant against both the pass and the run. And man, three-time NFL defensive player of the year, seven-time first-team All-Pro. You really can't argue with that, can you, Tyson? No, you can't. And like Cooper Cup had a, a fantastic season with Stafford throwing him the ball. And, you know, Matthew Stafford, he's the quarterback responsible for two of the best seasons in NFL history, throwing the ball to Calvin Johnson and Cooper Cup in his career. Uh, truly a, a fantastic story this year of Stafford going from the low life of being in Detroit to now he's in LA, he's got a good team, a good coach. And I think that really fascinating, Sean McVay, he realized that, yeah, Jared Goff, he's a quarterback who took them to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but Goff is very limited in what he is ability to do in throwing the football, specifically throwing the ball down the field. So they mortgage their future to go and get a guy who, yes, he's not perfect, but really is unlimited in terms of arm talent and an ability to throw the ball. And by McVeigh going out and getting Matthew Stafford, it opens up his play calling sheet to be able to push the ball down the field, call certain plays that require more of a, an aggressive attitude or a high talent focus. And his playbook and his play calling and, and his offense is not limited by what the quarterback can do anymore. So I think that this has been a, a great, great ad for the Rams in bringing in Stafford, but also to uh, just highlight, you know, some of the other guys on that offense have had an absolutely incredible year. Now, moving to the other sideline, we have to talk a little bit about the people's champion, Joe Burrow, because he really <laughs> kind of is that a little bit. He, he Here's a quarterback. No, here's a guy, in the famous words of Chris Collinsworth. I mean, I, it was sitting right there. I didn't even take it the first time. But here's a guy who did not start any game in his first three years of college football at Ohio State. And then he transferred to LSU, Louisiana State University. Goes, He did win 10 games, but threw 16 touchdowns five interceptions, whatever. That's not particularly impressive. And then in 2019, Joe Burrow has one of the greatest college football seasons anybody has ever seen, throwing, you ready for this, 60 touchdowns, six zero touchdowns to six 
interceptions. If anyone in the NFL threw 60 touchdowns, they probably would get signed to like a $2 billion extension in the offseason. And, and Joe Burrow, of course, that was the year that he led LSU to an undefeated national championship winning season. He won over a lot of people by highlighting issues of poverty and food insecurity in his hometown of Athens, Georgia, in his Heisman Trophy winning speech. It's very hard to win the Heisman Trophy and a national championship as it is. No quarterback has ever won a Super Bowl on top of those two things. And Joe Burrow has a chance to do that a year after he went 2-7-1 and one and had his knee shattered in, in, in the middle of the season. You can't really make this up. No, you can't. And, and the Bengals have had an absolutely fantastic year, a real Cinderella run this playoffs. Also, huge highlight to uh, the kicker, Evan McPherson, who uh, do you know about what uh, Evan McPherson said after that uh, divisional game or during that divisional game, uh, David? Uh, Tom Brady can hold my jock strap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, so it was give you the rundown. It was 16, 16 Bengals versus uh, the Titans in Tennessee. And uh, Burrow drives the Bengals down into field goal range. And Evan McPherson, this rookie kicker from Florida goes and he's, you know, he does this practice swing and he goes out there and um, he, he says to one of his teammates and he goes, well, Looks like we're going to the AFC championship game. Oh, yes, like, yes. This is what Joe Burrow said. I did hear that. Before he even goes out there to attempt the kick, he is already confident that he's going to make it. And already, like, playfully joking with his teammates and, like, saying, like, we're going to the AFC championship because it's already in. And, you know, a lot of people were, like, questioning on why would you draft a kicker? That's why you draft a kicker. You, you go out and you get a guy who is, like, so confident and so good. Like, they, they didn't, like, do what the Bucks did in getting Roberto Aguayo in the second round. That's that's a little bit of an overdraft. But, you know, this is a premium spot. And, you know, Evan McPherson, he's only making 660 k this year, but he's single-handedly kicked them into the Super Bowl, <laughs> which has been incredible. Uh, so great job on him for, you know, coming in clutch and having that cool, uh, cool story that Joe Burrow said. I love that. Um, Joe Burrow, he's been really interesting this year. 4,600 yards, 34 touchdowns, 14 picks, which is a little bit high. But, um, you know, that's nothing to be uh, bad about in, in terms of a second year quarterback. And I think it's really interesting to see his play style in the playoffs. Uh, Burrow playing against the Raiders, you know, 244 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, you know, good game, not a great game. Um, and then you have against the Titans, uh, Burrow, he had 350 yards passing, but no touchdowns and an interception. So he had a lot of yards, but he didn't get the touchdowns. Kind of a weird kind of oxymoronic game where he, he moved the ball up, but didn't get it in the end zone. And then against the Chiefs, 244 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. So when you kind of look at it, like Joe Burrow isn't having these absolutely outstanding statistical numbers, but he's doing what it takes to win. And he's being put in clutch situations in the end of the game where the Cincinnati Bengals are in position to make plays. And Joe Burrow is, he's just kind of that dude, you know? And, um, the best probably comparison to 
this type of kind of ability to come in during the fourth quarter when it's late in the game, the probably best comparison is Joe Montana, where Joe Montana usually never had like the best numbers. He usually had double digit interceptions in, in a season. He was very good and very efficient at running the offense for the 49ers during the eighties dynasty. But realistically, Joe, uh, Joe Montana was at his best end of the game, game winning touchdown drive, game tying situation, situation, game tying scenarios. Let's go out there and make plays. And that is something that I've been watching Joe Burrow do. And he's been absolutely sensational at it this entire playoffs. It's been, you know, Joe Burrow gets an opportunity to go out there and make plays and he, and he does it consistently time in and time again, realistically speaking, without that, there's no way that the Bengals are, are this far into the playoffs. You know, Joe Burrow, he's had to cover, he's had to come up with, come overcome a lot of things in the playoffs. The Titans, they had nine sacks in that divisional game. No quarterback has ever been sacked nine times and won a playoff game. So Joe Burrow's the first one to ever do that. And, you know, he's just out there making plays, doing that's what just, it takes. And, 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 and that's just insane, man. Nine sacks and Titans mm-hmm. somehow managed to lose. I Obviously, the Titans made their fair share of mistakes in that game. And if Derrick Henry is healthy, they probably win anyway. But we we're not here to talk about probably and the the Bengals definitely uh deserve this but let we we got to say the the problem though is that everyone knows the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is one of the worst units in the league certainly bottom echelon and i just told you a little bit about who Aaron Donald is then you put a guy like Von Miller next to him a perennial all pro who's pass rusher who's really settled in uh, in LA and then Leonard Floyd, who's also a very talented pass rusher, particularly if you leave him single blocked and the obvious marquee matchup here is, yeah, okay. You can talk about Jamar chase, the highly touted LSU receiver and Joe Burrow's ride or die, who couldn't catch a football at the beginning of the season and ended up with like 1200. I was, I think it was more than 1200 yards, like a lot of yards and, and, and double digit 14 touchdowns. Uh, that, that, that's a heck of a turnaround in and of itself. So good job for Jamar chase, but, and, and when you put him against Jalen Ramsey, the all pro corner, and one of those guys that you really can trust to lock down elite receivers play after play, that's a great matchup. But for me, it really comes down to either can the Cincinnati offensive line rise to the occasion and at least be somewhat manageable or acceptable against the Rams defensive front or can Joe Burrow somehow find a way to mitigate the shortcomings of his offensive line and can the offensive play calling mitigated by perhaps using short passes run game to set up something down the field to take the heat off the pass rush there are ways to do this but but man if not like like Aaron Donald Aaron Donald might literally split double teams (laughs) <laughs> all night if they don't do that because Aaron Donald is just that good and Von Miller is just that good and the Bengals offensive line is just not. Yeah, no, and it's been really interesting to see like Joe Burrow overcome his offensive line woes. Like the Chiefs, uh, they have some really good uh, D linemen in Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Melvin Ingram, and Joe Burrow at times was really running for his life. But 
surprisingly in that game, the Chiefs' defensive line wasn't able to get home as much as they probably should have. And it, it allowed a way for Joe Burrow to sometimes escape the pocket, pick up yards, pick up first downs with his legs, especially late in the game. So it'll be interesting to see if the Rams' defensive line with Donald and Floyd and, and Von Miller – can capitalize and close out the play by getting the sack, getting the negative play, and finishing it. And if the Bengals are consistently being pushed into second and long, third and long situations, I don't see a situation where the Bengals can really um, score enough points, make uh, smart decisions and when to run, when to pass, and when to do misdirection, when to double team, who to double team. And it's going to be tough because if Joe Burrow doesn't have time to make plays, uh, it doesn't really matter who's open if he's getting sacked on the ground. Uh, the game plan, I think, for the Bengals to win this game is they got to protect Burrow. they got to get the balls into the hands of their playmakers and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. But they also need some help from their defense. Um, I don't think the Rams or the Bengals can beat the Rams head-to-head talent-wise. The Rams are so, so talented with uh, OBJ and Cooper Cup and Cam Akers now back. Um, they need some turnovers. And Matthew Stafford, he will have the chance. Uh, he'll throw it into double coverage sometimes. He'll make some questionable reads. Uh, there were uh, about three or four games in a row during the season that Matthew Stafford threw a pick six. So if Matthew Stafford makes a mistake and the Bengals defense like Jesse Bates or um, Eli Apple or um, guys like Trey Henderson can make a play, get a, get a turnover, maybe even get a score on defense. Uh, the Bengals will be a really good spot, a really good spot to possibly win this game. Certainly. And, and I think the Bengals defense, although it's not the Rams defense or the defense of a team like Tampa Bay, they do have some talent. Like Trey Hendrickson has back-to-back seasons of 13 plus sacks. So he yep. is a top pass rusher in the league. Uh, Jesse Bates has really been a, well, he's just gotten better and better at safety. And he, he is a factor for interceptions and to bracket in and help uh, on top receivers down the field and yeah I think I think there's I admittedly I don't know the Bengals super well but they have a couple of very stout defensive tackles inside who can who can hold their own sometimes their their defensive line is definitely better than their offensive line and they have a, a couple of playmakers at least in the secondary and at linebacker that could that could make a difference but really um I think what makes this matchup interesting, well, first of all, the fact that neither of these franchises have won a Super Bowl, the Bengals have never won. Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, they haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 1991, 1992, if not longer than that. And the LA Rams, well, last time they won one, they were in St. Louis. They, the LA Rams are, are a new mm-hmm. franchise and they, they have yet to actually win. Uh, a Super Bowl, so uh, we won't have to watch Brady win his eighth. And uh, first of all, and I'm sure that people are uh, are happy about that. But look, I think this is what it comes down to for me. If Cincinnati, they've already kind of been lighting the football world on fire. If they win the Super Bowl and upset yet another uh, what you would believe to be a superior opponent, 
Twitter's gonna Twitter might crash, uh, first of all, and the football world is going to go up in flames. And I think that's awesome, you know, and, and how fitting, right, that that the era of Tom Brady would end with such a fresh matchup and potentially the most unexpected of underdogs ascending to the throne pretty much Kurt Warner style. Yeah. No, it'd be really interesting. And, uh, you know, this is, this would be a huge win for a lot of small market teams in the NFL, like Cincinnati. I, I know the Cincinnati owner doesn't spend a whole lot of money on their team. They usually only bring in one to two um, players a year in free agency, uh, not adding a whole lot every year. They're definitely not going out and getting the most expensive linebacker, the most expensive offensive lineman, the most expensive wide receiver. They don't have the money to do that. Um, they they much more are able to build from within, add when necessary, and, and you know take their chances uh, later on in, in the careers with the guys in development that they have. So when you compare that to the LA Rams who, you know, they're going out and trading for Von Miller. They're going out and signing Odell Beckham. They're going out and trading for Matthew Stafford. They are just filled with star talent because it's LA baby and you better have stars and you got to win and you got to be interesting. And, you know, Stan Kroenke, he moved the Rams to LA to be in a bigger market to make more money. So It'll, it's a huge difference between the L.A. market and the Cincinnati market. And in some ways, uh, you know, North America, we always love our underdogs. We love the Cinderella stories. We love our darlings. And Cincinnati's that. They're the underdog. They're the small market team from, you know, the Midwest with this uh, quarterback who has an incredible stature about him. And he's leading this franchise all the way to the Super Bowl. And they have a chance to win which nobody thought about that, especially before the season started. So it'll yeah, be interesting. It, it certainly will. I hope a lot of people tune into this, as I'm sure they would be. Uh, and the last thing that I want to mention is actually how the Bengals got to this point by upsetting, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was talking about the Bengals' defense a little bit earlier. <laughs> take, take a look at this. Like For all you that watched the game, you watched Patrick Mahomes and his offense lay an egg in the second half of that AFC championship game, much like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense did throughout the NFC divisional. But take a look at these stats. Patrick Mahomes in the first half threw for 220 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, completing 85.7% of his passes. This game really had the makings of a blowout. And the Chiefs were up 21 to three at one point. In the second half and overtime, Mahomes completed 44.4% of his passes for 55 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. It's almost as if you replaced him with Mark Sanchez or something. <laughs> and But I, what I wanted to bring to your attention and, and the folks' attention is that CBS did a really solid film breakdown piece that I saw today in which they what they brought attention to is the fact that the Bengals shifted their defense fundamentally in the second half of that game, because they realized that Kansas city in contrast to their typical, you know, throw it deep to Tyree kill use Patrick Mahomes, big arm to create explosive plays uh, and things like that. The chiefs were being efficient and, and patient and throwing the ball short, mixing in the run game and, 
And Tony Romo, the color commentator, was was interestingly enough, he said, "Wow, if the Chiefs are doing this in in addition to the the explosive talent that they have, then they're unstoppable." And then Cincinnati called Tony Romo on his bluff pretty much immediately because what they ended up doing was they went to a a type of zone blitz or we we call it a a robber scheme, which is a type of conservative zone defense where they dropped out one of their defensive ends into coverage, only a three-man pass rush. So Mahomes had time to throw the ball. But what they did is they rotated one of the safeties down to take away uh, the key crossing route or the key quick slant that Mahomes was trying to hit. And Mahomes simply wasn't able to adjust to the fact that they were playing him this way and taking away these short chances, despite the fact that he had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and all these, these playmakers. And apparently for some reason, the play calling with Andy Reed offensively was not able to, to, to respond as well. What do you make of that Tyson? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, great job on Cincinnati on catching that and making that adjustment at halftime. I think in, in some ways, I think it's a little bit on coaching on the Kansas city chiefs part in saying, you know, like uh, basically how how usually it works is uh, a head coach will be like, okay, this is what we're doing well. This is what we are anticipating uh, that they're going to do to try and stop it. So when we see this look, we're going to do this then. So they're kind of anticipating kind of a little bit like chess, anticipating three, four steps a little bit ahead. What the Chiefs kind of did that game is they said, we're doing our thing we're unstoppable, we're just going to keep doing our thing, and we're going to put up 40. And I think that's on coaching staff, you know, to not plan and make adjustments at halftime, even though you're up, you know, big, and you've scored 21 points in the first half. You have to be ready and adjust and make more more plays and, and anticipate what the Bengals are going to do. So that's part of the thing. That's part of the reason why. The second thing is, is when you're only rushing three and you're dropping into a zone look, that forces Patrick Mahomes to be patient and it forces him to stand in the pocket and it forces him to make throws in windows. And he has the arm talent to absolutely make those windows. But with someone who has the oozing talent and oozing skill that is Patrick Mahomes and his beautiful, amazing arm. He wants to take big plays at a time. He wants to look for different things. He wants to be able to try and hit big plays. So rather than hitting those short plays that may be open, he's looking for something deeper. He's looking for something more. Or instead of standing in the pocket and waiting for one of his crossers to come open, he'll anticipate, oh, I want to, you know, three seconds have gone by. I must be getting pressured, so I'm going to take off and run or try and scramble and make something happen. And there were a lot of plays that Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter, especially where he was extending the play and running the play and nobody was getting open, but in part, he was kind of forcing his way to a sideline, kind of removing half the field by rolling one way or the other, meaning that it was easier for people to defend him by taking away half the field whenever he chose to roll out. And there were times when Patrick Mahomes would roll out despite not having any pressure. So I think it's a little bit twofold. Patrick Mahomes making some bad decisions with rolling out and not wanting to take the short passes when they're open, trying to push the ball down a little bit too deep when it's not open. And coaching staff 
and not being prepared for the adjustments that Cincinnati was going to make in defense. Yeah. Now it, it'll be interesting to see if any version of that type of game plan, a three-man rush zone robber with a high safety over the top is going to work at all against the Los Angeles Rams. Because first of all, Cooper cup is a maestro at finding tiny windows and using subtle leverages to get open, particularly if you give him space. Matthew Stafford is more experienced than Patrick Mahomes. And if you give him time, he he is prone to making the occasional bad throw, yes. But by and large, he's a smart quarterback with a great arm and he can put it into any window that you would ask for. And, and yeah, and you've got guys like, wow, Odell Beckham Jr. has a second lease on his NFL career as a valuable number two receiver. Van Jefferson has at times been impactful as a number three. And so they're, you know, it's really just the fact that the Rams do have the weapons, I think, to counter anything the Bengals try to do. But it'll be, well, to use the old cliche, you got to show up at the end of the day. And that's what makes sports interesting. That's what makes a matchup like this interesting. That's why football or nothing else is played on paper. And I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how it plays out. And I'm sure many people are. And, and yes, once again, Brady will not be winning his eighth. So I'm fairly <laughs> thrilled uh, about that much. But anyways, uh, that's all we have for you guys. The public service announcement is that I'm going to go away for at least two weeks from this point on because the Winter Olympics are starting. And if you know me, you know I'm obsessed with the Winter Olympics. But at some point, folks, we're obviously going to be back with another episode. Hopefully by then we'll have had a memorable Super Bowl to look back on. And one of the two sides will have some excellent storylines, intriguing storylines come to fruition. But until then, we're signing off from the draft board. Thank you for listening to The Draft Board. Podcast music, intro, and outro is produced by Graham Bass. Your hosts, again, are David Song and Tyson Workington. Come back next week for more insight from the rink, the turf, and the court. See you soon.